for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Martian Mellow. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mellow. I love Ken. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Hello, and thank you for being here. It's Martian Mello right here on Canadian Football Perspective. As always, brought to you by our friends at Fox 40. Support them. They're very nice people. They help us. We want you to help them. 15% off your return to play whistle needs. Visit fox40shop.com and enter the code CFP15. Of course, you can do that. And of course, you can get yourself some beer. Use the promo code CFL on your first order over $100. You will get a choice of the wide variety of all things that Sada City Beer has to offer and you can get that, of course, in Ontario. Must be of legal drinking age. Use that promo code CFL and save yourself a little bit of money as we get set for the CFL season to kick off. Well, by the time that you are listening to the show next week, the Ticats will either be 0-1 or 1-0. The Bombers <laughs> will have celebrated their Great Cup championship. And the question becomes, will Hamilton will have spoiled the Bombers and their Great Cup championship banner unveiling? Or is it even possible to spoil it? As Mike O'Shea said earlier this week, I don't know how they would spoil it. Eventually, they're going to pull down the ropes and the banner's going to fall. And yeah. uh, it's going to happen unless Braylon Addison or one of the Ticats is going to go climbing into the top of the stadium and change the rope system. But hey, don't count Simone Lawrence against doing anything like that, okay? Because he'll find a way if he needs to. I want to say uh, props to the Bombers, though, that in the season canceled by Corona, they did not do some stupid virtual banner raising yes. ceremony because that would have been dumb <laughs> yeah well and i was actually saying to dt earlier this week kyle that i'm actually glad they're doing it in week one because there was a lot of conversation about the idea that they would say mm, yeah no we, we can wait we can wait until we have it a uh, full house and people not having to wear masks at all and uh, let's wait until things are really normal and we can share no. with the entire province of manitoba and instead when they found out that they were going to have a decent chunk of people in the building and they said, you know what? No, let's take care of this right now. Let's get this out of the way. I just, that would have been a weird feeling to be like, hello and welcome. It's week six in the Canadian football league and the <laughs> Argos are coming to town. They have nothing to do with this championship and Oh, look, there's a banner. Okay. Let's play a football game. So I'm glad that they went out of their way to, uh, to get this in, even if it's not with the max number of people, TSN will do a good job of bringing you that presentation. I know that for a fact uh, because I was on a call today talking about week number one in the CFL with the CFL and TSN's yeah. people, and they were discussing how to properly cover the championship banner unveiling and all the rest. So there's a plan in place, and they're going to do their best to bring it to as many people as they possibly can at home. Yeah, it's so crazy that, you know, in a league of one and two year contracts like the CFL is. What's the carryover from that Bombers 2019 Grey Cup winning team to the team they have now? How many guys on that team played in the 2019 Grey Cup? What are we talking? 15, 20? We're talking less than maybe 50% of the team. Uh, Winnipeg is unique in the sense that Winnipeg, Hamilton, and Saskatchewan over the last two years, I've actually looked at the, the numbers on this. They have been the highest percentage of re-signed free agents from their own team that they've brought back into the fold. I think okay. it was, I think it was something like 34 of 37 potential free agents were re-signed by Winnipeg over the last two years in 2020 and 2021. Your point is well made though. Like that's, 
100% that's the norm. And I mean, <laughs> there's been some teams in these training camps where I have looked at their roster or I've seen like Ottawa is a good example, right? Because Marcel Desjardins is trying to find talent wherever he possibly can. He's trying to find wins in the margins against salary cap stuff. And he's up against it a little bit because he's had retirements at important positions and across the offensive line and guys sitting out because of COVID. And, and I look at pictures sometimes of training camp and I'm like, okay, there's, there's no Sinopoli. There's this offensive lineman is missing there. <laughs> this guy's injured. And I see pictures and I go, is Sherrod Baltimore the longest serving Ottawa red black at this point, like a defensive back that we used to just think as man, whatever he's one of the guys on the team, but that team's identity used to be Sinopoli and Ellingson and Deontay Spencer and Trevor Harris and like William Powell and on and on and on and on and Sir Vincent Rogers. And, and now you look at, it and you're like, who's, I mean, Brendan Galanders obviously is an extremely long serving guy, but I'm like, he's a backup running back who gets some touches. He's a special teams guy. <laughs> yeah. Like he gets some touches here and there, but he's on specials. I'm like, there's no shame in that. He's had a very good career and long tenured, but yeah, it's the identity of teams has changed a lot. And I think seeing, I mean, like I told everybody on the show here last week, I have week four BC at Ottawa. So I've had a little bit more of an eye on those two teams as they wrap up their training camps. And in BC, there's there's so many different names in so many different places that trying to get reacquainted with the league it feels trust me cfl fans it feels really tough right now to do by the end of week one it's just going to be re-ingrained in your head right like you're going to watch all four of the games on the opening weekend you're going to get a sense for where everybody's at and then it's going to become the new norm it feels strange rightfully so because it's been so damn long but we're about to go back into watching weekly football and as we know from watching the nfl in 2020 you would think, oh, like, I can't believe this guy's on that team. By week three, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's on that team, right? It just yeah. it becomes status quo. It's weird because we've talked about it in the past that in the first four weeks of the CFL season, there are, you know, a ton of unknowns. Another thing for these teams, like you said, you know, there's guys that have been staples of those franchises that are no longer there. Brad Sinopoli in Ottawa, Mike Filer in Hamilton. Who's going to step up? in a leadership aspect to take over those position groups, mm-hmm. like on the offensive line for the tie cats. Again, I haven't been down to training camp yet, but Brandon Revenberg, is he going to step up? And now he's the basically vet of the group. He's going to step up and, and take that leadership, you know, burden on his back. And I have every you know confidence that he can do that job. And then in Ottawa, can you find somebody to fill Brad Sinopoli? We're not even talking about production because that's hard enough to do the leadership aspect because that positional group. And again, there's a lot of carryover. So maybe the carryover of players in Ottawa didn't play with Brad Sinopoli a whole hell of a lot. And now they're looking at themselves and saying, well, who's the leader of this, of this group, because it was always Brad and that's going around the CFL right now. So that's going to be interesting. The first couple of weeks of the season to watch when the offense goes to the sidelines, you know, who's talking to those, uh, to, to those positional groups. I wonder if TSN is going to have any restrictions on terms of people they're allowed on the sidelines and if they're going to have a camera guy walking in and out of the bench. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, without revealing too much of the way that things are going, I am uh, privileged to some information because I have been in some of those uh, Zoom meetings as of right now. And yeah. there's, there's definitely restrictions. Uh, cool. it, it definitely makes things difficult, but basically the sideline reporters will still be able to accomplish their jobs and they'll be able to do so in a way that you don't really feel like it's all that much different. However, 
the job has become harder for sideline reporters because I mean, they have to do, you know, some testing stuff and they have to be there earlier and there's more weight that's put on their shoulders to be on the sidelines because essentially before the game, the league is creating a three hours before the game, the field is locked. Like there's no in, no out. If you're on the field, you're on the field. And that's how it's going to go for this season, at least until restrictions start to lift off a little bit, which, hey, if you're in Alberta and your government is just pretending that COVID doesn't exist, maybe restrictions never get lifted. So that's uh, that's something to chew yeah. on. But uh, but yeah, there's it, it's going to feel the same as much as humanly possible because there's a lot of people working behind the scenes to make the broadcast feel normal. But the reality is behind the scenes, there's a lot of people pulling a lot of strings to try and get to that point where you don't notice that it is a little bit different. So there will be... I think a lot of sideline shots, uh, but they might be shots from afar <laughs> Yeah, uh, to try and zero in on people and still get that human emotion to come through in the broadcast. And it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, uh, being someone who has been privileged to, you know, stand on a CFL sidelines during a game with no mm-hmm. questions asked, I watched the 2019 Grey Cup on the sidelines. Um, and again, I'm part of the problem, but I'm always looking around and thinking, why is that person on the sideline? Why is that person randomly standing in the corner? They have a credential, but why are they there? Now that all of these restrictions are going to be put in place, you're going to realize how empty CFL sidelines and around the field are. And now when this COVID thing hopefully is over, we're going to say, wow, now we don't have to watch players run into some random stranger on the sideline, just completely run him or her over because they didn't need to be there. So maybe yeah. the CFL carries that protocol over. It's a great excuse to change up the, uh, the, the normal standard of who's allowed on the sideline. That's for sure. Because <laughs> once you realize how much uh, I would say extra fat there was on that bone, then yeah, you can, you can trim it down pretty good, I would say. But um, the other thing I think that I am thankful for amongst all of this is you might notice how, how empty and how clean the sideline looks because it is restrictive and because it is very limited and and it gets locked down and there's not just people coming to and from, but I'm just so thankful that we're not going to have empty stands because I've been to the odd CFL game where there's been empty stands and it's don't make the Argos joke. Oh, they always have empty stands. Uh, What I'm saying here is like when Toronto played Calgary, and it was in, I forget, I forget why that was, but it was at Tim Hortons Field on a night where the Ticats were the back end of the doubleheader. They were playing in BC and we were covering the Ticats broadcast and doing the afternoon drive show on TSN radio in Hamilton. And as I was doing the afternoon drive show, and as I was turning it into the Ticats pregame show in 2000, this must've been 15. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was an Argo Stampeders game happening in front of me. They were actually just playing a CFL game in front of me and there was nobody in the sands. Like it was was (laughs) being played in like the late afternoon on a Friday. And it was very, very little people that were in there. And it, the vibe of that sucks, just straight up sucks. So I'm just really thankful that when we have the season opener coming up next Thursday in Winnipeg, that you're going to end up having fans in the stands. You're going to have crowd noise. You're, you're going to have those visuals of fans walking through the turnstiles and going into the buildings and all the rest. Uh, Cause that is, I just, I don't know, you know, business plan aside, money aside, finances. Aside, I don't know if you could put on a CFL broadcast and have it feel anything close to a CFL broadcast without fans. They've done it in the NHL. They've done it in the NBA. They were able to work their way through it and they found some solutions and they found things that, yeah, it felt a little quirky and weird, but it didn't feel empty or hollow. I'm telling you, a CFL broadcast would have felt just so incredibly empty if you didn't have anybody in the stands. 
Yeah, that's been a talking point through this whole pandemic, right? Which sport, you know, translates the best without crowds? Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Um, it's funny. Mixed martial arts was weird because at the beginning of the pandemic, the UFC never really stopped their cards. They would go and do cards um, with nobody in the crowd. And then they started doing cards at the UFC, basically headquarters at the UFC Apex in Vegas. And they still do cards there. And there are no fans in attendance. And you can hear the corners giving advice to the fighters. I'm like, huh, that's something you never heard before because of the crowd. Yeah. And I actually enjoy it because you get to find out which coach knows what they're doing, which coach just yells at guys saying, we're firemen. Shout out to Teddy Atlas. He's a great <laughs> trainer. But I, I, all I can think of is the Timothy Bradley uh, thing in the corner. Oh, we're yeah. firemen. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. train in the heat. We live in the heat. <laughs> so iconic. God, I love that guy. Although Teddy Atlas on MMA has been an interesting uh, little uh, level. Yeah, ESPN's <laughs> MMA coverage is uh, bad. So Ariel Hawani is uh, no longer at ESPN. He's doing his own thing. Uh, Thank goodness, because they Did were you limiting hear? his role. Not, not that we are, you know, wandering off course into deep MMA media talk here, because I don't think there's a ton of people that that really is the first but, segment. We always do it. Yeah, I know we wander <laughs> around, but I would say that if people don't know the dynamic between a major broadcast partner and the the concessions you have to make to the people that you are uh, rights partner or uh, in business with. Listen to Ariel Hawani from the Dan Levitard show because I heard a podcast from him, must have been a couple of weeks ago now, of him, yeah. exp him explaining that uh, Dana White does not like Ariel Hawani, hasn't liked him for a long, long time. And it got to the point where Ariel Hawani signed on with ESPN because he's thinking, hey, the sport's growing. They offer me a bunch of money. I'll go there, a major platform, and help grow it. And then very quickly afterwards, ESPN ends up signing this massive deal with ESPN Plus, streaming rights, and all the rest for MMA. And he basically says that the second that they signed a deal with rights with ESPN, he's like, oh, shit. Because immediately he knew Dana White is going to try to get me fired from a job that I yeah. barely barely even started. He said, sure enough, I heard from the background. Dana White was campaigning. He almost made it a big part of the deal they had with the UFC that he was not going to be allowed to cover anything. He would have to sit in you know, a completely different part of the building when Dana White would uh, be doing his media sessions because he wasn't allowed to be there per the UFC. And you know uh, what that stems from, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, explain the background there for people that don't know. Yeah. So Ariel Hawani back in the day, Brock Lesnar, I can't remember this is the first time he came to the UFC or it was the second time when he came to the UFC to fight Mark Hunt. But Ariel Hawani was privy to some information and the UFC said, hey, we're trying to make a big deal out of this. Please do not release this before us. Yeah. We're going to release it at this time. After that, do whatever you want. Ariel Hawani is like, sure. Goes on Twitter, releases the news. Goes on his own show, releases the news. And it pissed off Dana White. And that relationship was never repaired. Yeah. So that's why Dana White has always kind of had it out for Ariel Hawani. Because he believes, you know, he was hard done by by the biggest MMA journalist there is, and he is Ariel Hawani. There's other guys as well, too. Brett Okamoto, the guy from ESPN. Um, there are other guys who do a great job covering the sport, and it's better now that more people are covering the sport. Um, but Ariel still carries a lot of weight. And, yeah, for some reason, him and Dana White have never clicked after that. Yeah, so there was a, a, a note that was dropped into this 
podcast that he did talking about his breakup from ESPN and going solo, where essentially he got offered money by ESPN, but they intentionally lowballed him and he just walked away because he's like, I don't want to have to deal with anything or dealing with a rights holder again. Like I'd rather be, yeah. you know, I'm going to do my own stuff on Substack and Spotify and Fox and this and that. And he's, he's in like 18 places now because he's so vaunted and wanted. But the note that I thought was the most amazing and how childish Dana White is with all of this stuff is that he says uh, when when Dana White would come into the building, like around fights, I would have security come and escort me out of the building. And the security guards were embarrassed that they would have to do so, but they just were told that their boss's boss's boss told them that they had to do it. And Ariel was told by ESPN that, hey, we're, we can't change any part of this. Dana demands that this is part of the deal. And he could have just asked him to sit in a different part of the stadium. And Dana was like, I'll, I'll just, you know, uh, Ariel said, I'll, I'll ignore him. I'll avoid him. I'll be in a different part. He'll never see me. I'll never be in his line of sight. I'll... And they, Dana White said, no, you are going to go through the public embarrassment of being walked out of the building every time that I'm walking <laughs> in because I want to demean you as a human being. And I'm like, what the hell kind of, how do you possibly do your job as well as Ariel Hawani's done his job? when you're working for the worldwide leader in sports and doing major pre-fight shows like Ariel and the bad guy and all the rest, how do you do that knowing that the person who's at the top is trying to embarrass you every single time that you step in front of a microphone when you're working for the rights holder who's a partnership? It's an amazing dynamic. I, Ariel is such a professional. I have so much more profound respect for him after hearing that. And then he also talks about how the fighters make no money from the sponsorships that go on to the uniforms and how they get paid, uh, what is it, I think 5% of the total gross that comes in from the pay-per-views and all the rest. Like, he has all of the information. He has receipts yeah. on everything that Dana White has done well, wrong. Well, he's close and, to a lot of fighters and a yeah. lot of the top fighters. Yeah, he knows the, the where the bodies are buried on all of this stuff. And now he's free of ESPN, and he's just whatever he wants like and it's it's yeah. amazing i encourage people even if you're like a fringe mma ufc fan otherwise if you want to see somebody be badass and good at their job ariel hawani is that dude yeah so espn's coverage now of mixed martial arts uh daniel cormier has a podcast with sedano the guy who was always on van lebertard's show yeah yeah george sedano yeah 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 so he has a podcast with him I don't know what, why Sedano there? Just let Daniel Cormier just do it himself. Like <laughs> it's him talking the entire time. Sedano has no clue about mixed martial arts. And look, I don't want to say maybe he has, you know, a little bit more clue now that he's doing the podcast with Cormier. Um, but it's bad. I listen to it. It's, it's bad. They have no chemistry. It's just, it's a bad podcast. And then they have Chael Sonnen doing another podcast with somebody else at ESPN. It's like, just put Chael Sonnen in. Daniel Cormier together. They're two big personalities. I don't understand. Yeah, but, um, but imagine, and they like how each good, other. imagine how good the quality of the product would be if you could just have the head of your organization not hate the person who's the very best at what they do in all of your sport, which is Ariel Hawani. Like, they created that yeah. issue for themselves when they were building something up around Ariel. But anyways. Uh, as far I, as I know, from people that do podcasts that know Ariel Hawani and are you know free to say what they will, apparently Ariel's not the easiest person to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, he does have, I don't know if it's an ego, um, or if, you know, a, a high standard of how he wants certain things done. And apparently he is very hard to work with. And that's why he doesn't have a co-host for his show. 
he does the show essentially by himself. He has producers and stuff like that, but it's essentially just him sitting at a desk and then doing interviews and talking about, you know, the UFC and mixed martial arts. That's interesting. I do want to pass along here as well, just because we always do this show on Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening in real time. And we're always amazed when things are coming across the timeline. Uh, The uh, NBA draft goes this evening, Thursday night, as we are taping this. And so there's a bunch of Woj tweets that are coming down. He's already revealed like the whole first round because that's what Woj does. But uh, and he has also tweeted out Lakers center Montrez Harrell opting into his nine point seven million dollar player option for next season. Uh, if you're the Lakers, you probably hate that. Yeah, I mean, uh, with I mean, Harrell- a lot of the opt ins teams hate, right? Because yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, that contract was made, you know, five years ago. And since then, you've dropped 10 points per game about, you know, 13, <laughs> 14 minutes per game. And it's like, well, there's a reason you're not very good anymore, but you're going to get paid this amount. of money. And I just wanted to drop this as a means of transition out of the uh, Hawani MMA stuff with Harold opting in. The Lakers are able to move toward completing a deal to acquire Kingsguard Buddy Heald for forward Kyle Kuzma and Harold uh, sources tell ESPN. So now they're trying to trade him. Uh, and then there's been yeah. moment. They Woj says there's been momentum going towards this. It's getting close to its ultimate completion. And then all of a sudden about 25 minutes ago, as we started taping this, he says the Lakers are near a deal now to acquire Washington's Russell Westbrook for Kyle Kuzma, Montrez, Harold, Contavious, Caldwell, Pope, and a 2021 first round pick. I'm like, okay, you want to throw like Russell Westbrook, aging superstar, triple double guy into the fold with uh, with LeBron and AD at the back end of LeBron's career. I'm like, every time I think about these super teams and trying to piece these things together, I'm always just like, is that going to work? <laughs> yeah. And it feels like we're constantly doing that every year with Russell Westbrook in the NBA where the people talk about adding, he could go to Boston. He could be with Tatum and Brown. You're like, is that going to work? I don't know. I don't know. I never know. Every one, you know, every time I see one of these super teams, you know, come together and it's like, you know, you have three superstars on your team. And then what does the rest of your team look like? Look at Brooklyn, right? Like Brooklyn had a good team this year. You know, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. And then what happened during the season? Some of their depth players went down or one or two of their depth players went down. Spencer Dinwiddie went down. And then all of a sudden it turns into the worst basketball you've ever seen. Plus Kevin Durant. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's why you guys didn't win. You traded all your depth for two guys. One of them was completely out of shape at the beginning of the season. And he never recovered. James Harden showed up to Houston training camp. And he looked bad. He looked overweight and he looked way out of shape. And he was never, ta- be, you know, ever, never able to get, um, you know, his pre-weight gain body back or, you know, uh, conditioning back. And Kyrie Irving goes down and all of a sudden Brooklyn has no shot. And it's Kevin Durant trying to drag the Brooklyn Nets. If he would have won a championship with that team, it would have been very similar or at least made the final. It would have been very similar to LeBron James when he made the final with the, you know, Booby Gibson and the rest of the yeah. Cleveland Cavaliers misfits. Yeah. Uh, it would have been very similar, you know, how those teams uh, came together. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you uh, saw this. We talked about it on last week's show. Dave Naylor uh, just tweeted this out 30 minutes ago. So we're recording at almost six o'clock, uh, you know, six o'clock at night on Thursday comes out obviously Friday, the Stampeders have cut former Toronto Argonauts yeah. quarterback Dakota Prukot, which leaves the door wide open for Michael O'Connor to be the backup quarterback. Yes. And we already have the backup <laughs> QB being Nathan Rourke in BC. So my, uh, my impassioned speech on this show, it was brought to you by Rourke and O'Connor last week here on Marshmallow, where I said, can you just win a backup job so we can give you a <laughs> shot if somebody rolls an ankle, but we'll get into more of that. Coming up for you in just a second. Before we get into some more CFL things here on the show, 
Uh, I did want to bring up something near and dear to Kyle and my heart. No, not craft beer, although eh, it's close. Uh, but I want to bring up for you the Buffalo Bills uh, because the Bills, man, they have been the, I mean, outside of Green Bay and what Aaron Rodgers has been going through, they have been the discussion of all things. And I think this discussion, albeit maybe not directly, it does apply to the CFL because you're talking about players' right to choose whether or not they want to get vaccinated and how leagues are going to be enforcing that and what restrictions are going to be placed on people and the protocols that are in place in and around the CFL to start the season. And just straight up, it's been a shit show with the Bills. Like it is, it's one of those things where you see statements coming out from various places. And as a PR person, your hair would be falling out. Like we know Aaron Gogashvili from the Ticats very well. Fantastic at his job. I know people from around the Canadian Football League that are in the role of communications director or public relations or whatever it might be. And anytime that one of their players is tweeting something that's going to bring the organization into disrepute or put them in a bad light or create controversy that's unnecessary, they cringe. Like they absolutely, they're just, oh my, now I got to go put out a fire over there. Okay, great. And so when I see what's happened with the Bills here, where you have players in the Bills organization arguing with each other about pro or anti-vaccination, like I, I would have to imagine that when you're looking at the NFL right now and they're saying unvaccinated players probably not going to get picked up as free agents. It's not worth the risk to us inside of our locker room. Uh, and you're saying guys that are young players that choose not to get vaccinated that are on the roster have the potential of being cut because we don't want to endanger our locker yeah. room. Like it's really, really serious. And they're not going to replace any games. They're not going to move games. Listen, you get an outbreak, you can't play the game. You lose. Like that's how it works for the national football league this year. So they're making executive decisions. They're letting coaches go who are unvaccinated, all the rest. And the Bills gave Cole Beasley the floor as training camp opened up to be able to explain what he's been tweeting about for a while here. And this was kind of amazing to me on a variety of levels, not the least of which was there's some just straight up dumb anti-vax stuff here that I don't really know is factual or checked or verified in any way, shape or form. They just gave Cole Beasley the floor in Buffalo to say his piece and he tried to do it in a very eloquent way but they promoted the tweet that is two minutes and 46 seconds long of him talking about this situation and there's some anti-vax stuff in there i'm like an nfl team in a league that has put down all these restrictions is promoting this tweet so they can reach as many people as possible where they're letting a receiver with their logo in the backdrop spew some anti-vax stuff what the hell are we doing like, like if, if his tweets are going to make you rip your hair out, if you're a PR guy or Cobbs guy, then the idea of your organization paying a social media company to spread his message further without any discourse or any fact checking is more concerning because now you're just amplifying the fact that, okay, here's what Cole Beasley had to say and let's allow him to get the message out there. But it's like, okay, but what if the message is just wrong in a variety of circumstances where he's just kind of out on his own on an island here doing this, like the teammates yeah. that were arguing with him and disagree with him inside the organization. They must be looking at it going, why the hell are we giving him the platform to do this? Like if he wants to not do that, he can do that on his own or he can make a quick statement. But I wanted to play this for you, Kyle, and then I'll get your reaction and your thoughts here. Before we get started, I know a lot of you guys probably have a lot of questions about what has gone on in the past couple of weeks. Um, between the players, the NFLPA, you know, the vaccine, all those issues. So um, out of respect for my teammates and coaches, uh, I wanted to kind of put something together so I could explain those things and get it out of the way. And then after that, 
just move on to football if that's okay with you guys. All right. Is everybody ready? All right. All right. I wanted to start this off by saying I'm not anti or pro-vax. I'm pro-choice. With that being said, the issue at hand is information is being withheld from players in order for a player to be swayed in a direction he may not be comfortable with. When dealing with a player's health and safety, there should be complete transparency regarding information that is vital in the decision-making process. Without having all the proper information, a player can feel misguided and unsure about a very personal choice. It makes a player feel unprotected and gives concerns about future topics regarding health and our ability to make educated decisions. With regard to our overall safety, we have to know we are armed with full knowledge and understanding that those who are in a position to help us will always do that based on our individual situation. Some people may think that I'm being selfish in making this a me thing. It is all about the young players who don't have a voice and are reaching out to me every day because they're being told if they don't get vaxxed, they'll be cut. Agents are being told by teams if they have unvaccinated guys, they will not be given opportunities as of now to be seen in workouts. So once unvaxxed players get cut, they're losing a dream they have worked their whole lives um, for over a vaccine that has proven to not keep people from contracting COVID as we've seen. Every doctor I've gone to with questions begins every sentence with from what we know now, which tells me we don't know enough. The NFLPA is working to have vaccinated players tested more frequently than what the NFL initially stated. Um, a lot of players got the vaccination with the idea that these rules were already set in stone and they're not. It is common sense that if a vaxxed or unvaxxed player is tested less frequently, the likelihood of a player being pulled for COVID drops dramatically. In regard to player safety, I will conclude by saying we all want to be safe. For so many players around the NFL safety does not solely mean avoiding the COVID virus. Our health is the now and years beyond, which we are trying to protect with our personal choice while doing all the things we did in our protocol during a very successful 2020 NFL season. Uh, so that is his statement that he read off of his phone directly into the microphone. And the first thing that jumped out to me was there was a lot of Trump shit in there. And I don't mean that like generically. I'm just saying <laughs> the whole idea of it has been proven. He actually has a quote in there where he says it has been proven that when you reduce the amount of testing that is being done, a player is much less likely to test positive. Yes. Yeah, that's how math works. I agree. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how that works. When you, uh, when you uh, check somebody less for something, you're going to find out that they have less of some, uh, the virus. I think he was trying to bring it back to the light of comparison of testing an unvaccinated player or only unvaccinated players compared to vaccinated players. Right. And then finding out the positivity rate. Obviously, it's going to be higher for the unvaccinated players because yeah. they're being tested a lot more. And the, the other one that jumped out to me in there was uh, we are being told to take a vaccine, which has not been proven to... Uh, prevent you from getting the virus i'm like it has statistically yes the chances of you getting the virus are much less when you are vaccinated that's the whole point that's why people have been getting the vaccination across the goddamn planet uh so that, like that's a good reason for that and the uh, the last one kyle here that jumped out to me was him saying uh that he <laughs> he is making a personal decision for his safety and i'm like dude you play in the nfl you've made a personal decision to endanger yourself every single damn snap because there are murderers running around the field trying to rip your little slot back head off. So the idea of making a personal decision to uh, basically extend your personal safety, I'm like, this, it's a catch point. It doesn't apply. Like, there's so many things that are just backwards there. And Cole Beasley is a proud person who has his beliefs. 
And I think that he should be able to choose as much as you do, Kyle, because we've talked about this in the past. Like, I don't want to jam anything into any athlete's body. And I understand they're very particular about things they put in their body a lot of the time. But man, what a mess for the Bills. And like, what a bad message it sends to have that guy get promoted, to get sent out, to give that message when there's a lot of things in there that you're just saying, this is not going to come off in an educational way. So a couple of things here. One, there is no doubt in my mind, the PR staff of the Buffalo Bills had read whatever he had on his phone before he took the mic. Agreed. Because there's no way in hell that they're just going to say, yeah, Cole, just go out there and talk about the vaccine. And then he comes out and says, the vaccine is bull bleep, right? And (laughs) it's all of a sudden the Bills have to put out a fire. That wasn't the case. Um, So I think they read over his statement and said, okay, this is his beliefs. A lot of some people are going to be angry about it. But here's the thing that, that drives me nuts of people trying to draw a correlation of, Cole Beasley's beliefs and, you know, upheaval in the Buffalo Bills locker room from the sound of it. I heard Emmanuel Sanders talk about this as well. From the sound of it, players don't seem to care about Cole Beasley and whether or not he wants to take the vaccine. They don't care. And by the way, he's not alone in the Bills locker room. John Feliciano is on Twitter all the time speaking about the same thing that Cole Beasley's speaking about. So it happens in the Bills room. So I don't think it's going to you know, uh, upend any chemistry that the Buffalo Bills might have coming off a very good season, looking to follow it up. Um, as for Colt Beasley's beliefs, look, is he 100% right? No, but in the U.S., there are a certain amount of people that believe that if you stay healthy and you do what you want, you're taking every precaution possible not to get the virus without actually taking the vaccine. And I think Cole Beasley's in that camp as well. He's kind of a hippie. Like that's what I think of Cole Beasley. He's probably like a guy that as a joke that came out this week on a podcast, I listened to, he makes his own water. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. I appreciate that. Also, Kyle, exciting news here for you. Uh, Oh, I should probably play that stuff. Don't tell me Cole Beasley got cut by the Bills. Uh, no, I don't have any Cole Beasley update for you, though. But I do have a note for you. The Cleveland Cavaliers are acquiring Minnesota Timberwolves guard, who is currently in Tokyo, as it is 6.53 a.m. right now in Tokyo. Ricky Rubio uh, has been traded from Minnesota to the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's a real home run, uh, moving from Minnesota to Cleveland. Yeah, big difference there. I would not be surprised. At some point in this upcoming season, if he stays with Cleveland during the regular season, I can put it at almost a 95% possibility that Ricky Rubio will be bought out by the Cavs. That's what happens. Any player with any sort of talent playing on a crummy team that is not young gets bought out from their contract and ends up on a content. It happens all the time. Ah, Kyle, the news never stops as well. The Lakers, uh, apparently even closer since we started the show to doing a deal with Russell Westbrook, concluding uh, it looks as though Adam Schefter, NFL insider who loves him some NBA, has tweeted out a photo uh, of the three of them. They've already done the Photoshop of Russell Westbrook in the Lakers jersey with LeBron and AD, and Schefter tweeted it out, said, coming soon, coming soon to an NBA court near you. Oh, it's so exciting. The NBA is ridiculous, man. Every single time that we try to do. Remember when we did this the day that I actually traded Kyle Lowry when he never actually got traded? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the, so that Woj tweet, Mm. um, Kuzma, Harrell, Caldwell Pope, 2021 first round pick. 
uh, back the other way for Russell Westbrook. That is a massive price to pay. How old is for, he? I don't know, but look, it, it's not uh, the fact of he's on the downside of his career. The problem is, is Russell Westbrook, for some reason, is a volume shooter and he's a high risk player. He turns the ball over a ton and he takes so many stupid shots in Washington. <laughs> it was hard to watch sometimes. And Bradley Beal was pissed off a lot of the time. Cause he's like, work the ball around, dude. You're taking a shot with 19 seconds left on the shot clock with a hand in your face, five feet behind the, behind the arc. Like, what are you doing? Your three point percentage is terrible. It's the most NBA trade ever when it was Russell Westbrook for John wall. And you saw, you saw them going the, the other way on each other. And they're like, wait a minute, though. You're the same player. Like, do you both take inefficient shots and drive to the rim and try to get contact in a league that only wants people to shoot the corner three? And now you're going to have Russ going to another team where it's like, is he supposed to be like driving kick guy? Because you're yeah. not going to kick out if you're LeBron. You're not going to kick to Russell Westbrook and think, hey, there's my, uh, my Mike Miller standing in the corner who's going to make me all these threes. It's like, Russ is not going to do that for you so now you've got Montrez Harrell being your Dennis Rodman and Russ being your Steve Kerr <laughs> like, yeah. that's a weird roster construction for me go to break and there was a right. uh, Stephen A. Smith screaming at us go ahead no I was just going to say uh, there was a tweet that came out today for um, somebody uh, that covers the NBA in Philadelphia that uh, a Ben Simmons deal was turned down by a team and it included four first round picks. Why? <laughs> Nobody wants Ben Simmons. Why? Uh, when we come back on the other side, we'll talk some CFL news and notes. And of course, want to talk about the Olympics on CBC. Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Forsta Joni. Some of their weekly specials and features going on right now in the heart of the summer. The Triple Bogey Contest Giveaway. $5 tall cans of Triple Bogey Lager and Amber. Every Triple Bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some golf prizes, including a grand prize of a custom Triple Bogey golf bag. They've got lamb spadini on the barbecue on the patio once every couple of weeks, a new summer drink menu and daily drink deals such as Sangria Saturday, Corona Buckets, and $9 classic cocktails. For more, go to forstagioni.ca or find them on Instagram at four.stagioni. That's F-O-R-E-S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. For those tough wake-ups. He defines masculinity. He redefined what it means to wear a tracksuit on television. <laughs> and uh, and we can't wait to have him back on air. Hal, thank you so much for the time this morning. It's Martian Mellow. Th- thanks very much. And until next time, keep fit and have fun. Yes! Oh, yes! <laughs> he nailed the dismount! Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mel right here on Canadian Football Perspective. We are one week away from the start of the CFL season, and we're looking forward to having lots of great coverage for you leading up to the beginning of all things CFL in 2021. Next week, check back. We've got great podcasts. I'm going to have CFL and TSN man, uh, Statsman John Pearlberg is going to join me on the A Block coming up on Monday. Wade and Connor have you uh, previewed up leading into Tuesday and all Canadian, of course, Thursday, the kickoff show there. And then uh, I'm going to have DT and myself previewing week number one matchups, quarterbacks that you can look at, maybe some fantasy matchups as well that you can dive into. Lots of good stuff coming before Kyle and I next week uh, will. I don't know. What, what do you want to do for the timing of the show, Kyle, next week? Because, I mean, we could just do like a Ticats Bombers recap super late at night or super early in the morning. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's weird. I don't know how we're going to kind of do this i would rather kind of do a week preview and a week recap so mm. 
maybe release our podcast on Thursday. Yeah, and we could. Maybe we got to mix and match some things. We'll uh, we'll talk to the executives. Is there a game Thursday every week for the first four weeks uh, until we hit Labor Day, and then we go back to it being on uh, just Fridays and Saturdays? And there's the yeah. Off- there's no. It's funny. There's actually a week which is the week of uh, my son Noah's first birthday at the end of September, where there's a game on Wednesday. Noah's birthday Whoa. is on. Noah's birthday is on Thursday. Okay. Uh, there's no game on that Thursday, but there's a game on the Wednesday. There's a game on the Friday. And then Marlene said, well, are we going to do like a birthday party for him with a couple of friends and family on the Thursday? I said, well, we, we can do it on the actual Thursday if you want, because I don't, there's no CFL games. That's fantastic. <laughs> and then she said, well, what's happening that weekend? I'm like, well, there, there's definitely going to be a game on the Saturday because there's no game on the Thursday. I look at it. Nope. There's no game on the Saturday that week, but there is a game on the Sunday. So there's get those Sunday games in before the NFL (laughs) that's in the late September. Like that is in the heart of NFL season. So it's, there's a game Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. That's a weird week, but it does allow me to have a birthday party for my son. So eh, that's a win. Uh, All right. So let's get into some Olympic stuff for you. Updated medal count as we are taping this show right now. Uh, gold medals, China, Japan, number one right now. They have 15 each. The United States has 14. Overall medal count, the United States is leading 38 uh, to the 31 of China. 28 is the total for the uh, ROC. Yeah, you know me. Rock Nation, uh, they are up there with 28 medals as it stands right now in Japan. The host nation, they have themselves 25. Canada down in 12th uh, right now with 10 medals. They've got themselves two golds three silvers and five bronze i've had so much fun watching the olympics i have been glued to the pool i can't wait for the track events to get going some of the random stuff like rugby sevens uh women's water polo i've just been watching the most random events and it is so good i love the olympics even though they are hypocritical in every way and they leave behind just terrible amounts of uh destruction in their wake wherever they end up going to the host countries it's like I'll turn on the television and there's women's BMX biking. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. CBC. I will spend the next hour on my couch watching someone I've never heard of before, just because they're wearing a maple leaf on their back. So there's this sense of like weird Canadian pride, I think in watching the Olympics that I have thoroughly enjoyed, but in the United States, um, the conversation has been around a couple of things. One obviously has been Katie Ledecky, where if you're watching any of the NBC coverage, what she's accomplished in the pool, she's just an absolute monster, but also Simone Biles. And I want to have this conversation before we get into our kind of final news and notes on the CFL for this week about mental health, general well-being, and the future of the fan-athlete relationship. And that seems like a very heavy topic, but let me explain myself for a second, because Simone Biles, every time I've ever seen her, has the most beautiful smile. She is just a radiating ball of energy. She is the most athletic person I've ever seen in any sport. And I'm including LeBron James and everybody else. If you watch the things she does with her body, it's unbelievable. The degree of difficulty on the things she attempts to do in gymnastics is crazy. She has gone through the the Larry Nassar adversity, the USA Gymnastics stuff. She has stood on the stage at the ESPYs amongst all of her Team USA gymnastics female athletes and She's been through so much stuff and through it all, she's just been smile, 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 smile. And I, I don't want to sound hypocritical about this because I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush, Kyle. But when I see someone like Simone Biles, who is constantly just Mrs. Perfect and she has uh, everything in front of her and she's on every commercial and she's so likable, 
I, I cough. I, I often think, where's the human? Like, where's the, the actual person that is inside of that, that marketing machine, that incredible athlete that like, she is in, in a spot where if she were to make the smallest hiccup, it would make massive tidal waves of news across the United States, North America, around the world that she would, you know, get DUI or if it, but she's never made those mistakes. It's like LeBron, right? Like the dumbest thing he's ever done is worn a weird checkerboard shirt, gone on television and announced that he was taking his talents to South Beach. He's never been in trouble with the law. Like he's been in, in the limelight forever. Simone Biles has never gone through any of that personally misstep type stuff. But then she goes into the events of Tokyo 2020 and she didn't really qualify all that great. Wasn't really feeling it. Degree of difficulty was a little bit scary on her stuff. And she just basically walked away and said, I don't feel right. I don't want to do this. People are like, what are you talking about? And she has empowered herself and the athletes around her by saying, it's, this isn't for me. I, I just don't think that I'm, I'm in the right frame of mind and all the rest. And then it comes out that she's got some different conditions that she takes medication for and that she yep. did not want to be part of this when she could endanger herself. She wants to live a happy life and she's choosing herself over her sport and over everything around her. And she's doing it for the betterment of her team, in her opinion, because she says, you guys have a better chance to win this thing without me. I'm just not on my game. I'm not going to be able to help you today. I'm sorry. And so she steps away during the final. And Suni Lee ends up going on to win the all-around individual title for women's gymnastics, which is an mm -hmm. American. So she kind of takes the crown from Rio 2016, where Simone Biles was the champion and the gold medal Five winner. Five straight Olympics, an American female has Amazing. won that title. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, and so you end up seeing all of that. And immediately it took me back to watching the Naomi Osaka docuseries that's on Netflix right now, where she is a singular athlete. And she, for a long time, she was smiling and I'm out here and I'm this incredible tennis player and I'm rocketing towards the sun in terms of popularity. And then she just starts saying, you know what? I don't feel great. I don't really want to do this. And you know what? I'm not going to play in that tournament because I don't really want to do the media work. And you know what? Tennis isn't really fun for me right now. Maybe I'll come back when tennis is fun. These athletes are taking their, their empowerment that I think was created by you can go back as far as you want, but really I landmarked at LeBron being able to take his free agency and determine that there's a hell lot more of, of agency and being free. And when you get to choose where you go in free agency, and that is spread across sports where you see people like James Harden, just bullying his way out of deals and being able to empower himself. And the, yes, you can get upset about things like KD and Kyrie, basically <laughs> mannequin doll dancing around the organization in Brooklyn right now because they control everything that happens. And Steve Nash is basically just a puppet that's in place there. But I look at this Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka thing as thinking, well, maybe they're setting a trend for the future. Maybe they are demanding that the next generation of athletes be able to talk freely about feeling good, not feeling great, whether it's physical or mental health otherwise. And they say, you know what, we're going to press the reset button here on the relationship with fan expectations. Because immediately when Biles doesn't go, everybody's saying, how the hell can you do that to your country, right? There's a lot of that American rap yeah. flag stuff of, well, you are an embarrassment, all of a sudden, embarrassment. She's repped your country better than any athlete outside of a, a small handful on the international stage for 10 years. And one moment she steps away and you're going to call her an embarrassment. That's, that's not true. And that's not okay. So I just, I wonder whether or not we would have seen something like this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And I doubt it. And I think that it's really pressing the reset button on the way that athletes are allowed to be a little bit more human, which anybody should be in favor of yeah. unless it's your team or it's your country. That's the one that suffers because of it, because then people 
get selfish in their own self-interest and say, well, you know, I want the best for them, but well, no, we need to get rid of the, but you just want the best for them. That's fine. If they can't go that day, they can't go. Okay. So there's a million things to dissect yeah. here. One, the people coming out against Simone Biles saying, oh, you're an embarrassment to the country. Those people are idiots. And those people, you know, don't care about U.S. gymnastics. They don't care about the Olympics. No. They just found a cause to go against the norm and say this about Simone Biles. So it's ridiculous to start with. Two, how would this compare if it happened to a top team athlete? Because gymnastics, okay, yes, it was a team event that she decided to drop from. Right. Um, but the person replacing her is still probably a top 15 gymnast in the world, right? Like that's the depth that the U.S. gymnastic team has, and they still meddled without Simone Biles. It's completely different in a team sport. What if Tom Brady said at halftime of the Super Bowl that just passed, guys, I'm not feeling it for the second half. Who was the backup in Tampa? You uh, remember? Blaine Gabbert, I believe. Yeah, Blaine Gabbert. Hey, Blaine Gabbert, uh, can you close this out? How do you think the rest of the team is going to feel about Tom Brady? Oh, With man. everything he's accomplished in his life, how do you think every article is ever going to be written about Tom Brady? He's no longer the GOAT, all this stuff. I'm just saying a hypothetical thrown out there, it's a very different story. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not saying there's not people passionate about U.S. gymnastics, but the general population, I hate to say it, they don't care. Yeah. They just, they simply don't. The general sports fan, by the way, in the United States, they could be a big basketball fan. They don't give a crap about the U.S. You know, basketball team. Well, this, is, this is the fake nature. It's so true about that, which I thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> watching France beat them down the stretch, watching Evan Fournier outplay Kevin Durant in international basketball. And then I saw a quote that came out from, uh, oh, who was it? Uh, I, I honestly forget who. See, that's how unmemorable the NBA is. French uh, or uh, US? No, USA guard. I'm trying to think of who it was. It might have been Lillard uh, that came out and said, you know, the, these international players, they're just different when we're playing international basketball and not in the NBA. My first thought was, yeah, it's pride for your country. Like, you see the sidelines of these oh, It's a little bit different. It's a like, different style of game, too. It's yeah, team, it is. team basketball. Yeah. I get it. And they have some – it's the reason why Canada can't get into the damn Olympics when we're playing against, like, Greece. They're like, what? Like how, how By the way, I'll just <laughs> I'll throw this out there. The I love Glenn Grunwald, the Canadian basketball, uh, you know, entity. It's big struggles right now for them. The women's team—they haven't looked great, although they did just beat South Korea. Yeah. The men's team, right now, we're sitting—I don't even know what it is—day eight of the Olympics. Uh, the Canadian men have yet to medal in the Olympics, and the I completely blame the men's basketball team for not qualifying they set the olympics <laughs> off on a bad note on the men's side yeah i'm with you on that i was props actually, to the women for meddling but i was so upset man that we ended up having uh our women's national basketball team lose to serbia in their first game 72 68, 68 was the final and i know they're good but i was so sad about it because the night before they played in women's basketball marlene and i sat down on the couch and we watched women's boxing at the Olympics. Again, things that I've never thought that I would be watching, but I'm like, okay, sure. I, I want to see these Canadian athletes. There was a mom from Kitchener who had her baby like two years ago. Okay. And did not compete in any of the qualifiers because she was pregnant leading yeah. up to the Olympics, asked for an exemption, gets into the ring. And we're like, come on, 
give it to her. Well, let's go. Well, let's go. This Canadian yeah. Canadian mom from Kitchener gets into this in the boxing ring and just gets the crap kicked out of her by a Serbian woman. And we spent the entire fight going, oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. And we were so Last week in the UFC. Yeah, last week in the UFC, Misha Tate came out of retirement. She's had two kids since the last time she fought in the UFC. She came back to the UFC, knocked a girl out. She looked phenomenal. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, Misha Tate's back in the thing. I put it out on Twitter. I'm like, she's a problem again for every woman mixed martial artist in the UFC again except Amanda Nunes that she's yeah. just on a different, she's the most dominant person I've ever seen do anything. <laughs> uh, what is the thing in the Olympics, Kyle, for you that you get strangely addicted to that you don't Ooh. give a damn about the remaining four years? Because for me, it's like, it it's was, as soon as I see Penny Alexia getting into a pool, yeah. as soon as you see a name that, you know, the pool for me, like, I feel like I am there when I am watching them come down the home stretch and you've got the commentators going crazy, losing their mind because it's the 200 meter uh, breaststroke and they're on the final 50 and it's neck and neck and you have no idea. And man, the, the amount of difference between winning a gold medal and being at the top of the world and winning a bronze and being deemed a failure is unbelievable. It's like a 10th of a second max sometimes where you're watching it and you're like, okay, so that person like, didn't get a good enough push off the wall in the hundred meter freestyle. And that just cost them a medal. And now there goes their sponsorship. I'm like, how is that fair? It's, it's so crazy, but swimming for me is the thing where I irrationally become a fan and I'm like, Oh, good. <laughs> okay. We got, uh, we got McNeil going into the pool here. Yeah. I watched her the other night. She was really good. Yeah. We got a, We got a chance in this one. I'm like, I don't know shit. Why am I talking about this? Yeah. For me, that's been the highlight of the Olympics so far on the Canadian front. Uh, Maggie McNeil, when she won her gold medal, um, she touches the wall. She has no idea if she won or not, right? Yeah. I, I, I feel like in swimming, they need to jazz up the finish a little bit. Like whoever wins, all the light should turn off and your water should turn gold or something. It should be like a gold light in your lane yeah. or something. Because Maggie McNeil touches the wall and she's like getting the water out of her eye, that chlorine infested water, getting the water out of her eyes. And then she turns back to look at the scoreboard. She's like opening her eyes. Like she just woke up from a nap and she's like, Oh, I won. <laughs> she yeah. had no idea. And I'm like, that has to be a little bit of a better thing there. Um, but yeah, that type of reaction, that shock uh, for me, that was probably the highlight um, sports that I'm strangely addicted to. Um, again, there's a lot. Swimming is one for me. I'll watch all the swimming for me. I have it on the other front, the negative front where I watch a sport and I'm thinking, this is so stupid. <laughs> I hate to see, look for everybody that plays field hockey out there. I love you. Here's the problem. The sport is dumb. They need to improve wow. that sport. Wow. Marsh, the ball can never touch your foot. Do you know how many times the ball touches somebody's foot in a game? A lot. <laughs> and guess what? They stop the play every time. It is ridiculous. They have goal reviews because a ball might've touched somebody's foot. <sighs> it is so bad. There was a review in field hockey in the Canada, great Britain game. I want to say it was 12 minutes, the delay. I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> no, it is the coolest sport that I've, I've honestly never seen it before. I was stunned when I watched five minutes of it uh, was beach handball. You ever watched this? And the reason that I saw it was handball before, but I've never right. watched beach handball. Beach handball is crazy, dude. Like, and I watched, uh, what did I watch the other day too? It was something completely random. I'd never seen, but the beach handball, the reason I, it got brought up is because the women of, I think it was Norway, decided to wear, this is the, just the dumbest conversation, 
decided to wear spandex shorts oh, in, instead of basically <laughs> like the high hip rising bikini bottoms yeah and my thought is like wearing spandex shorts doesn't really change how we're over sexualizing the women at the olympics like it's still unnecessarily why can't they just wear like board shorts for all i give a damn like i, I understand yeah. that you might say well you don't want you know their hands getting caught on loose baggy shorts and all the rest yes that's fine but in terms of like the uh, the sexualization of women's sport and not being able to separate that from men like when i tune into the beach volleyball for example i'm like the dudes are just wearing like lululemon shorts and a tank top and i'm like and we're just throwing the chicks out here in bikinis and i'm like i don't yeah know but they're what- not forced to wear that Right, I know. In, and in I beach it. volleyball, they can wear like the the long leggings. I've seen some women instead of wearing the bikini bottom, they're essentially wearing pants. Right, but we they still get criticism, whether it be from the IOC oh, or otherwise, of, of people saying like, "Well, that's not really what you're supposed to be wearing." It's like that Norway uh, beach handball team got fined. Yes, they did, and then I believe uh, Alicia Moore Pink uh, was the one that said she would cover the fine for them because she was really proud that they took a stand against it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, there's so many things that come out of Olympics every time that we get into them, right? Where unintended side storylines that are intriguing and great Canadian performances that we didn't see coming. And, and oh, it was crazy too. Kylie Mass, uh, she ends up doing very well for herself in the pool. And Kylie Mass has been, <laughs> she's been at U of T since I was in university. And I've been out of university yeah. for, for a Katie minute. Katie Ledecky is at Stanford. Can you imagine me and Katie <laughs> Ledecky and being a student and you've won like, what seven medals how in the about Olympics? how about the 17 year old from alaska uh who ends up winning Canadian swimmer she's 14 yeah summer <laughs> mackin uh i'm gonna butcher her name mackintosh i'm pretty sure yeah. yeah but yeah it's i mean there's it's it's crazy how some of that stuff works but um all right let's get into uh some of the cfl stuff for you here because uh kyle as you know we were doing the dropping uh, breaking news a couple of minutes ago on all things nba but really we designed this segment on our old radio show for this Kyle, the news never stops. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have announced their transactions at the end of their training camp. The following 12 players have been released. Uh, USA linebacker Jeff Allison, USA DN Jalen Bates, USA DB Adonis Davis, National Defensive Tackle Marshall uh, Sok Punwu, who I believe is a Mount Allison guy, if not mistaken, USA receiver Jameer Jordan, USA running back Brian, uh, Byron Marshall, USA DB Marco Myers, USA wide receiver Cam Phillips, who I think was a, an XFL guy, uh, USA offensive lineman Justice Powers, national linebacker Jarek Rickard, Richards, who I also think was a Mount Allison guy. Damn, tough day for Mount A. Uh, national DB John Ventros and USA DB Brad Stewart Jr. They put a bunch of players on the practice roster. Most notably, I would say global DN Valentin Ganawa has been placed on there. Uh, they've also put Chris Mulumba, who's another global for them. Uh, national long snapper Tom Schnitzler uh, has been placed on there. And uh, Poppy <laughs> He's White. He's a long snapper, isn't he? He yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> Poppy White and Tyler Chernowski has also been put on there. So that suggests to me, obviously, that uh, David Ungerer has been given that wide side receiver spot. And maybe they don't want to have the uh, the depth or whatever. They already cut Marcus Davis in the first cut down. But um, so that is the Ticats transactions. We still don't know who the starting quarterback is. And I'm actually really interested in the idea that the CFL is implementing this new injury reporting protocol. And I, I'm curious to see how that goes and what that ends up looking like, because a lot of teams right now are trying to play the cards close to the chest. And I just don't know how they're going to be able to do that. Once we get into injury reporting, you're going to see who's actually up and who's actually down for the first time. Like you've been talking about forever, Kyle, 
yeah. we're, we're going to get daily reports coming in and you're going to really get a sense for who is possible to play that week. But just like the Toronto Argonauts, Hamilton doesn't have to declare their starting quarterback until they actually get 48 hours out from kickoff or 24, whatever it is, 24 hours out from kickoff. Uh, what do you think of not declaring it externally? And do you think that both Hamilton and Toronto will be able to, or choose to get all the way up to that, that drop deadline of the depth chart without having anybody find out who the starting quarterback is? Cause I feel like if you're at practice it, leading into next week, it has to be pretty obvious who the starting quarterback is going to be. You can't really like split the reps leading yeah. into week one. And then anybody who's a reporter that's going to be there is going to say, okay, this guy's taking 85% of the reps. He's the starter, but it's, it's just amazing to me that the teams don't just come out and say, yes, he's going to be our starting quarterback at the end of training camp, because that's what a lot of NFL teams do. So why are we not doing it in CFL? Yeah, and day one of practice next week, I think Coach O will be asked about it, um, who the starting quarterback is. Will he give an answer, do you think? I think he'll give an answer. Yeah, uh, okay. I mean, it's very obvious on who's taking snaps and, and who's not. Um, essentially, the entire you know uh, attendees of practice in terms of the media would have to stay quiet on it for you know essentially five days, and I don't see that happening. Um, so if you're the Ticats, it's going to come out next week before you know they get to the game. Coach O has... You know, he said this week, he knows who his starting quarterback is. He won't tell anybody as of right now, um, but he knows who it is. Do I know that it is? Absolutely not. Um, I think it's going to be Jeremiah Masoli, although I have a hope that it's, it's Dane Evans. I just want to see Dane follow up a, a, an unbelievable season last year. And Jeremiah was playing well before he went down. And I hate, you know, anybody to lose their job because of injury. But that was two years ago. Like it's, it's a new time. Yeah. And for the Ticats, I think you have a player in, in Zane Evans that can be your future for the next 10 years, um, but remains to be seen. Um, as for the Ticats, I think regardless who they have under center, they're still one of the premier teams in the CFL and they have to execute, you know, week in and week out and it starts against Winnipeg. Um, I think the Ticats and the Bombers, it's interesting that they're a week one matchup. Because I look around the CFL, maybe outside of Calgary, I think, okay, that team has a lot of chemistry together. They know how to play together. Um, every team outside the NFL, uh, outside of those three, I question a little bit. Like BC, we have no idea you know, what's going to happen in BC. I hope they have a new offensive line than they yeah. had the last time Mike Riley was under center because he got killed. They got a lot of similar pieces, but they believe they found some continuity at the end of the regular season. And Kelly Bates being in as the offensive line coach, which by the way, the BC Lions Twitter account wished Kelly Bates a happy birthday. I don't remember a lot of positional coaches getting birthday, <laughs> birthday shoutouts on Twitter from their own team, but regardless, uh, happy birthday, Brian Bold gets birthday shoutouts from the Ticats. That's Twitter true. Account. That's true. Yeah. it's uh, but he's, he, a, he's a coordinator. Oh, yeah, I know. It's a little bit different, but regardless, <laughs> Kelly's, Kelly's a good guy and he's going to do a good job with that team. But yeah, it's you're going to see, I think, some different teams and some different spots that uh, are a little bit unpredictable. We don't really know what it's going to look like going into the season, but the idea of, yeah, going into Winnipeg, having the banner unveiled in that first game and Andrew Harris, I mean, really questionable. I actually saw the CFL on TSN, I believe was shooting some video in Winnipeg and Brady Oliviera was the one that they were shooting some video of. And I was like, Whoa, okay. This might actually make it look more and more like Andrew Harris is not going to go in that first game. So I mean, does Hamilton have a, a chance to be able to send a statement uh, if Andrew Harris is not in? Is it going to make that much of a difference? You still got Kalaros, and uh, I think Kenny Lawler is going to be a beast for Winnipeg throughout this season, and he's going to have a nice season and be really productive for Zach, I'm pretty sure. But 
that defense is still that defense in Winnipeg, right? Like they're still going to have Willie Jefferson and Jackson, Jeff code and Adam big Hill. And Steve, I mean, it's that group is really, really tough. And I, I personally, I want Jeremiah to start. And I don't say that because I don't want to see uh, Dane play. I'd love to see Dane going to Winnipeg and get some redemption against the team that he had a really difficult evening against in 2019 at there in Calgary in the great cup. But I want to see Jeremiah, like this is the thing that people forget when they make the argument of Dane Evans going in there and getting his redemption. Jeremiah tore his ACL against Winnipeg. Like he did that at home in Hamilton. How great would that redemption be for him to be able to get onto a field, finish the game healthy and take down the team that took away a great cup championship from him as well, because he would have got a ring if they would have ended up winning that great cup. And so it was his ring that was lost as well. And the pain of standing on the sidelines and not even being able to help your team there's a lot of redemption for either of those quarterbacks going yeah. in week number one. And I think that the, the team is going to be fueled by that, whether it be the banner ceremony, whether it be the adversity that they're up against or getting used to COVID protocols going on the road for the first time. Cause keep in mind, these dudes have been grinding for the entire month of July to get through training camp and get their bodies right. But they've been going from the field to the hotel or the dorm to the field, to the hotel, to the dorm, to the field, to the hotel, to the dorm, to the, they're in protocol. They have not been allowed to go to restaurants, malls, out for. I mean, it's been pretty restrictive, and rightfully so, because they're trying to keep the players. I think it's over safe. now, is it not? So the camp is done, but the restrictions. I mean, you're still basically living in that space. So uh, the idea of going into a, a road game for the first time, everything is going to feel fresh and different. Even if you're a veteran, the guys around yeah. you are a little bit different. It's been a long time since you've played. You still have to find that comfort level and you're getting thrown out there after a long training camp where you've battled up and down injuries. And there's just so many variables right now going into week one of the CFL season. And it all might come out to looking like a little bit of preseason football. Like who would blame anybody if it ended up looking like that? Because they haven't had a preseason. So yeah. I have no idea where week number one is going. I know we'll all be watching. That's that's the thing that I keep taking away from it is people are just so excited to have this back in the fold. Yeah, and we talk about the cohesiveness of, you know, the Ticats and the Bombers and the chemistry that those two teams have because they do have a lot of, you know, roster carryover. And after the cuts today, none of those cuts surprised me. And I'm like, no. oh, this is essentially the Ticats are just going with the norm because the norm worked, at least yes. in 2019, the norm worked. And obviously some guys are not going to be there. Some staples of, you know, the starting groups um, on both offense and defense for the Ticats. Um, you know, Delvin Bro no longer there for the Ticats. Mike Filer no longer there for the, the Ticats. So that's going to be interesting. Um, but you said it best, you know, even despite the chemistry of those two teams, I think you're still going to have some massive hiccups in week one. Yep. It just comes with the territory of not playing football and so damn long that when you step on the field, oh, we went offside five times. <laughs> well, my hope is that one of the hiccups is not like an offensive lineman not getting out of his stance and a defensive end getting a clean shot on Zach oh, Calaros yeah. or something like that. Like, I hope that the the hiccups don't lead to further injury or it doesn't look so obviously sloppy. A little hiccup here or there so they can get back into the rhythm, totally understand. And I think the same thing we've all gone through in our personal lives, you've had to be patient. You've had to understand listen, this is not normal. Like when people start going back into the office, you're going to have to be patient with your surroundings. You're going to have to be patient with the commute that you're not used to anymore. And I think as CFL football fans, the teams, they know they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to have to be patient. They're going to have to solve those. As fans, you cannot expect this to look perfect coming out of the gate. So 
as long as you go in with that realization and you just appreciate it for what it is that we're back on the field and the the quality of the game will continue to increase, then I think we're all okay with that. But even to your point about what's going to kind of be on the field, Devere Posey sounds like he's a long shot for week one, according to Orlando Steinauer, the Ticats. Yeah. Braylon Addison's been out a big chunk of training camp as well. Uh, Chris Van Zyl was dinged in training camp as well. Maybe just a veteran thing where they were sitting him out for a while, but uh, there's uh, there's some question marks there. And I also saw from insider talk on three down nation the other day that somebody anonymously said that us media types are not making a big enough deal about Riker Matthews being gone from the tie cats at left tackle. That's left them with a huge void. Well, if you couldn't block Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat with Riker yeah. Matthews, with Riker Matthews and Chris Van Zyl, if you don't have Riker Matthews and Chris Van Zyl, and you're putting guys in there that are fresh, maybe rookies, Americans, like, how are they going to protect Jeremiah Masoli? Like he's coming back for his first game in two years. And you're thinking about throwing him out there against the best tandem of defensive ends with tackles that probably aren't up to snuff against that pass rush. Yeah. That's going to be a problem that Cats are going to need to solve on the other side, by the way, have we gotten word from Mike O'Shea on who's starting for the bombers? Cause I know there has been this hype around Sean McGuire potentially starting for the bombers over Zach Kalaros. Uh, but I, is I, that has got to go? That's got to be Kolaros from everything I've seen. I thought yeah. you were actually going to ask about the kicking situation because I saw no, that no. <laughs> on the final day of training camp, I saw that Mark Leggio missed four field goals and Tyler, <laughs> and Tyler Carpina made all of his. So, I mean, it, I wonder whether or not after drafting Leggio and hyping him up and he had a great start to training camp and Carpina yeah. gets let go by Montreal and he comes into Winnipeg, I wonder whether or not they're just like, Hey, week one, Carpini is the guy. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Is Carpini going to play for every team in the CFL when it's I hope all so. done? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I don't know if he'll ever play for Ottawa because as long as Lewis Ward is doing his job, I don't think Ty's going to get a chance to go home because he's a Nepean native, I believe. It's a good point. But I bring up the Kalaros uh, question mark on whether or not he's going to start uh, solely because if you're a CFL fan or you've been a CFL fan for a long time and you tune into this matchup and you see a quarterback matchup of Jeremiah Masoli against Zach Kalaros, it's going to look completely different because both those guys have long hair now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I hope that they, neither of them touch it. I hope nothing, which, by the way, if you want just to, to have a little sprinkle of, of good put into your soul each day, follow Zach Kalaros on Instagram because uh, his young son has come up with his wife and, and gone to Winnipeg and every day he just kind of shares like little amazing moments of him and his son kicking a ball around in a hotel room or uh, whatever it might be. And, and man, I can't imagine as somebody who has a 10 month old having to leave my kid, go somewhere, be in a quarantine, be by myself, getting ready for a season and how happy that would make you to have your kid come in and stay with you and know that you can go back to the room at the end of the day of practice and meetings and have them there in person and all the rest. So uh, get, get a little bit of that into your veins because you will appreciate that uh, wholeheartedly, I believe, if yeah. you are anything like me. Man, I can't wait for those uh, Shinetti puff pieces to come oh, out again yes. during the broadcast. <laughs> it's going to be. The it's best. not CFL football until a Shinetti puff piece. That's true. I can't <laughs> wait to uh, throw the shooter down on the sideline there. That's going to be fun. For more, let's go down to the sidelines and Matthew Shinetti, Matt. And then what is he? Here's my question. He used to call Chris Cuthbert, thanks, CC, or back up to you, CC. Do, 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 I, do I get Marsh? Is that yeah. what that's going to be? You're going to be Marsh on the broadcast, right? I, like I, Dwayne Ford's going to call you Marsh. 
I don't better know, not call man. you Marshall. I don't know. Like my fiance doesn't even call me Marsh that much. So really? Yeah. I mean, she does once in a while, you know, just honey, boo, baby, you know, whatever. It yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she's not calling you Marshall. <laughs> if she calls you Marshall, you're in trouble. Uh, well, I would prefer that Dwayne Ford would just call me honey, boo and baby, but eh, <laughs> baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> not for your first broadcast. <laughs> get ready. Get ready. Let's go. A little urgency. Here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by Problematic Children's Toys. It's brought to you by Problematic Children's Toys. Uh, I got a great little audio clip for you here, Kyle. My son, speaking of my son, uh, has been playing with this toy, okay, that's a piano. I believe my mom got it for him, if I'm not mistaken. But And this toy, piano, it basically teaches him to stand and to use his legs and get some strength in his legs. Yeah. And he presses the keys and it's got three or four different modes. One is a song. Another is, uh, you know, counting numbers, I believe. And another is, and I don't know what the name of it is, but like that fa, sol, la, ti, do, yeah. re, mi, whatever it is. And so you go through all of the, the chords. Okay. And this is what it sounds like when he is playing it from, uh, and this is just me playing the chords. I put out a video on Twitter at TSN underscore Marsh if you want to see this. Uh, so this is what it sounds like. Okay, here we go. Right, okay, so totally normal, right? Yeah. It just sounds like it's a, it's a kid's piano going through the chords there and all the rest. Here's the problem. Sometimes he punches the two buttons that are side by side in the middle <laughs> And, here, <laughs> and here's what the sound makes. For the record, that is fa oh. me. Uh, but the way that it sounds, it's caught our ears several times where we think our son's first word is just a swear word. Yeah. Because we turn to the side and we just hear, fuck me. And we're like, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, this toy didn't really think yeah. that one through. <laughs> I love how, you know, a child's toy, a toddler's toy, not even a, that's a baby's toy, turns into a schoolboy joke for adults <laughs> where they're just like, look, if we hit these two buttons out hey. after another. <laughs> hey, man, it's the little things. The first toy that he had was like a little punch pad that would play four different sounds. Again, it was like a piano where it had yeah, chords. Yeah. And I realized very quickly that I could play like hip hop beats in the background. So I'd be sitting there with him and I'd just be going, and like turning on songs next to him. Like, that's what parenting is, man. It's the little things, it's the victory. DJ Noah. Yeah. Get you through. Find out his DJ name. Isn't there like an online DJ name generator where it's like the street that you grew up on and your dog's name when you were a child? That used to be a porn star thing. Oh, what's your porn star name? Your middle name in the street you grew up on. William Battersea. There you go. What about you? Uh, oh, I, I moved so many times. Uh, let's say, so my middle name is Michael. So I'd be Michael Edward. Oh, that's, that's too classy Yeah, for adult <laughs> films, I'm pretty sure. But mm, nice to meet you, William Battersea. Yeah. Oh. And then the joke starts of a guy that grew up on the street named Longfellow or something <laughs> stupid like that. <laughs> uh, that's the show for us. Make sure you're following my good friend Kyle Mello at Kyle underscore Mello underscore. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. Don't forget about our friends at Sawdust City Brewing. Use the promo code CFL. Get yourself free shipping on your first order. Over $100 available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age. They got some great stuff, man. They got that Lone Pine wine coming out, that 11%. <sighs> 
Can't wait. I'm going to get myself some of that. That's going to be nice. I'm, I'm going to use my own promo code, I think. CFL. I'm going to punch it in. Have yourselves a great weekend, everyone. Last weekend without CFL football for the next four months. Enjoy the long weekend. This game is ended. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.